Welcome and thanks for joining us for this week's encouraging and faith-building message from C3 Topol. For more information about C3 Topol, visit our website c3churchtopol.org.nz. Now for this week's message. Awesome. Hey, if you're new here, um, if you're, this is your first time, if this is your first time at church, you'll be like, man, there's so much clapping and stuff and, and it's so weird, but it is weird. And um, so the sooner you accept that, it's just, um, it gets better. All right? Kapai. Hey, I want to talk about something this morning. I know you guys are in the, in the midst of this series around asking for God's uh, impact, asking for God's presence, asking for God's movement in your lives. And so I want to talk about something that I think is actually profoundly pivotal to any kind of move of God, which is something that is talked right throughout Scripture. 60% of the Psalms are mentioned in this light, but it's something we in the church really struggle to give language to or talk to, which is lament, right? So lament, motetia, uh, this is essentially what it means, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow, Some of you are like, man, I came to church for a pick-me-up, and now he's going to be talking about grief and sorrow. Gee, awesome. However, lament is unique to the Christian because it is not just grief and sorrow. It is grief and, and sorrow expressed and laid out and given to God. Now, we have like a, a really significant story in Aotearoa of motete, of grief, in fact, of, of, of its presence amongst us, of how we process pain and shame and all of these types of things. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because we are in the period of time. Do you know that even right now, that mental health, um, suicide, all of those types of really bad statistics are right through the roof in this time of year, every year. Now, often people go, well, it's just because it's a little bit cold and feeling, people are feeling a bit damp. It's a lot larger than that. Every year, and I want to give access to this journey, every year God gives permission for people to grieve because he is a God of rhythm, of process. He is not asking for suppression, but expression, right? Suppression uh, turns us into bitter, angry, no good people. But expression, when submitted under God, even without an answer on the other side, is freedom. Kapai? So, if you've uh, ever looked at the Bible, there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations. Now, this book was written, it is essentially uh, Israel's the worst time in their history. They just become captive to Babylon. They, um, it's the worst catastrophe in Israel's history at that point. 500 years of independence, and then boom, they are overs. Uh, now, a large portion of this uh, chapter is devoted in this really interesting uh, structure. So the f- there's five chapters in this book. The first four are done almost like in an, ac- an acrostic poem. So they're done with a certain kind of rhythm to it. And I, I want us to talk about this. So lament, lament is this. It's a form of protest. It's a way of processing emotion. And it's a way of voicing confusion. And this is what it does. Lament gives sacred dignity to human suffering. I'll say that again. Lament gives sacred dignity to human suffering. Human words of grief have become God's words to his people. Now, I'm going to go through this. I'm going to enter into a little bit teachery zone just for like 10 minutes. Is that okay? Is that all right? Cool. So, the section number one 
This talks about Lady Zion. Now, the first four chapters, they're all in these metaphors, okay? So the first metaphor is about Lady Zion, and it's about her grief and her shame. Israel's um, destruction expressed in the grief metaphored by her, a reflection primarily of psychological pain, okay? Which is an important part of lament, right, is the psychological part of the pain that we process. Now, some of you in this past year have lost a mum. Some of you have lost a dad. Some of you have lost a child. Some of you have lost a job. Some of you have lost a vocation. Some of you have become financially broke. Some of you have lost family members. Some of you have had huge relational problems and brokenness. Some of you are in the midst of anxiety and you don't know how to get out. Some of you are dealing with 10 years worth of depression. And God is giving permission to express grief. The second chapter is about the fall of Jerusalem and God's wrath. So divine wrath... Wrath is a kind of a terrifying word, eh? When you see wrath, it's kind of like, dum, dum, dum. It, feel, it always has to come with some kind of musical background to it. But divine wrath means God's justice. That's what it means. God's way of doing things. God's way of making things right. See, God is slow to anger. True, but he eventually does get angry, which is kind of cool. Because it makes you think, well, he's, we were made in his image. That means that, not all anger is bad, right? Right? If God can get angry, that means that we are also given opportunity and access to get angry. I'll tell you a story about my, my parents. So they started a church in Palmerston North. And in the midst of that, the, the church decided to um, purchase a, a business. And in the midst of that, the guy that was running that business, he did the dirty on them. And uh, basically, he bankrupted the business through fraud. And so my parents, they went, well, what's the right thing to do here? And so they sold our house and they paid for it themselves. Um, so they made sure that the church didn't have to pay for it at that point. Now the church was um, about 500 people of 22, 23 year olds at that point. Young, they were a young community. My parents had uh, a family like my own where they had, you know, one or, uh, I think they had two children at that point, young little babies. And they sold their house, and then they were driving around town, and they saw the guy that had committed fraud driving around in a Ferrari around town. And, uh, you know, what came out of their mouths? Bless him. <laughs> Bless him with a fist. You know, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> There is a way to have righteous anger, and it's still honor God. See, God is not asking us to be false, but that's often what we are asked to do, isn't it? How are you doing? Oh, mate, I am so good. I've climbed Everest and back this week. I'm feeling that good. <laughs> really? Well, actually, there's been a whole lot of terrible things, but I'm not telling you. But we've gotten into this pattern where honesty or dishonesty becomes our primary framework of how we operate in faith community dishonesty, not honesty. The third section is this. Um, well, actually, just to go back to that, God's justice is always justified. Even though Israel's punishment is justified, it does not stop, however, the writer asking for mercy. So even though we work in, w walk into situations where it feels like God is bringing correction, that does not stop us from asking, Lord, I need your intervention. I need you to enter into this. And I, I want to give a, a, and I'm not going to pretend to know a, a nation's history that is not my own. 
But I think everything that's happening in South Africa at the moment is crazy, right? It's painful, right? And when we think about a long history from where colonization entered in and the long conflict of racial tension and pain that have happened in that nation ever since, and we think, what is God doing in that nation? And I'm not saying that what he's doing is about justice, but I am saying that God is in the middle of that. He is not far from that place. But he will enter with joy for those that can truly lament. Truly lament. Chapter 3 uh, is the metaphor of a lonely man. And it brings in other lamentations from Job, Psalms, and Isaiah. And he sees the suffering of Israel as justified. However, because of what he sees in the other laments, he has hope. And so he writes the only hopeful segment in this whole chapter, which is this. Because of the Lord's covenant faithfulness, we do not perish. His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. How great is your faithfulness, O God. So I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. It's awesome, eh? After that, it goes back to really, really low, depressed kind of language of like, well, the world is ending and, you know, all of this stuff, which is kind of very human. Because God is consistent with his justice towards human evil, he will also be consistent to fulfill his promises to not allow evil to have the final word. Important to remember. Now, if we're talking about revival, the, there's always patterns. To any renewal movement that's ever happened throughout the world, there's always been patterns. There's always been prayer. There's always been repentance, which has always got connections to lament, to mortiritia, to laying down grief and sorrow, where things have fallen short, to present it before God and to allow God to bring resurrection. The f- chapter 4 is about the siege of Jerusalem, and it's basically contrasting between what, what it was like before and what it was like now. And then chapter 5, it's all the structure goes out the window, which is how grief works, right? It's like, I'm holding it together, I'm holding it together, I'm holding it together. Ah! That's kind of how it works, right? We like have it in a structure until the structure is stuffed the structure. I'm thro- I am going to lose my mind in order to express my pain or my grief or my sorrow, whatever it is. We can't contain that stuff. I don't know if you've ever watched someone lose someone before their time. You watch that grief. There's no pattern to that, is there? And it would be ridiculous to come and say to someone, hey, 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 it's day three. You're not meant to be acting like this. Here's the way. This is what it says. Scripture, okay? The final, final verses. It says this, Lord, you reign as king forever. That's feeling positive. Why do you forget and forsake us? And we're back. Final line, unless you've totally rejected us. The end. The end. So what does that tell us about God? We are always looking for a conclusion. And yeah, we have a conclusion in the cross, right? But we also have a pathway that is the cross. And so we're often looking for God to wrap this bad boy up, put a bow on it, and to make us feel better in a moment where he is actually not promising a better feeling. But he is asking for honesty. Be honest. You know, the things that you share, the most heartbreaking things that you share are the things that you share with people that are the closest to you, right? Is that not true? the pain that you've experienced in your life, the disappointments, the setbacks. 
You can be in a community like this, but it might be five or ten people that truly share that with you, that see that pain and that hardship and that sorrow and all of that stuff with you. That is the mirror of the, of the design of God, going, when stuff goes wrong, come to me. Be honest with me. If you're angry at me, tell me. We think that he's up there with like a tissue box, like getting offended at us or something. Oh my gosh, he just said that I was really not present, and now I don't know who I am as God anymore. I just like feel like, so. God is affected by our grief, but his character and his posture is unchanging. He is not able to be offended. And so in our honesty, and you know, out of this, out of my thoughts around this, I started to think about this notion where I imagine God almost singing to me. And this is what I, I kind of arrived at, which was this. Honestly, you can come honestly. I won't turn away. I won't turn aside. Honestly, I love your honesty. I won't turn away. I won't turn aside. And I think, more than ever, the nation is in need of honesty. And particularly from the church. We must no longer shout Jesus' name as a way of suppressing people's pain. Let me say that again. We must not shout Jesus' name as a way of suppressing people's pain because we don't know what to do with it. If we want to be places where people are safe and healed and restored, then we must hold it like the gift that it is. You know, Psalms, it talks about that I collect your tears in jars. Those are windows into the nature and the character of God. All the time, they are windows over and over and over again. So again, in uh, Israel cosmology, or in their story, sorry, right now is the period of time which they call the three weeks, which is otherwise known as, and I'm going to say this incorrectly, but Bain Ha Metzarim, which means between the straits. And it's a period of mourning, uh, the suffering of Jerusalem, the suffering of Israel. Every year, they have this period of time. In Maori cosmology, we have, has anyone heard of Matariki? Yeah, we've heard about it. We may not know the ins and outs of the details. But it begins, uh, and it's almost like it's the new year, but it begins with the Putakawa star, which is about grief, which is about those that have passed away and about feeling a level of pain and all of those things. And it's important to know that in that cosmology, it goes grief, pain, confusion, so that a season of planting can begin, so that more can be added so that new things can be created, which is often why in the season it feels like things are crumbling and things are rising. Does anyone feel that? You've all at the same time, you've got some things that are painfully crumbling to the ground and other things that are all these opportunities that are rising up at the same time. It's so confusing, right? Now, anytime a period of time or a rhythm is mirrored in multiple cultures right throughout the world, multiple, and this is throughout many indigenous cultures right throughout the world, this period of time of grief, of mourning, of remembrance, is mirrored. Despite colonization, despite westernization, we have to pay attention and go, God is saying something. 
God is saying something. He is giving permission for people to feel deeply, to feel deeply. This is what it says. I just want to read a section of this. I mean, I find it hilarious that this is in Scripture and we just don't know what to do with it. But then I also, I, I see this stuff and I'm like, man, I, I, in some of my lowest places, I resonate deeply with this. And yet sometimes I feel like, oh, I probably shouldn't say that to God. Well, look what he said. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He's the God of miracles. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day and night. They made songs <laughs> about what sad guys, eh? He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. Whoa. He has trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I hoped from the Lord. Let's pray. <laughs> now, in all of this, is God responsible for all of this? Well, no, he's not. But is God shutting down all of this? Well, no, he's not. There's nowhere that he comes and says, and then I rebuked them for saying those things out loud. In fact, this in here again is giving sacred dignity to suffering, to suffering. Now, I want the church to grow up, to be mature. Now, some of you are like, well, you look like you're like 20. Thank you. Oh, so I work very much on my skin. No, I don't. I don't do anything. Um, but I want us to grow up. And I think that we can't grow up if we are being moved in times of seasons without awareness. For example, if we get into a season of lament, where every year it's happening, every year's the opportunity, and we are not aware, and we are trying to jump and joyfully push our way through, we will miss out on God's opportunity to us to understand His healing operating at the moment. Understand? Does it make sense to you? It's not a popular conversation, is it? Now, when I walked through um, burnout, when I, when I believed all of the previous scripture, that was like, ah, everything sucks, and you know, I was struggling. I went to a, a spiritual director. Now, um, Pastor Sarah, she says that I uh, roll to the, the beat of my own drum, and that's probably a little bit true. I often I like going to Catholic monasteries and all sorts of different prayer retreats. I view the church tradition as like a massive kete that we have access to, and I don't want to throw stuff out because it's not operating fully in my tradition. And so I was in Christchurch and in Sumner in this Anglican monastery, and I was with a spiritual director, and he, he asked me this really important question. He says, what do you think your parents want from you? And I said to him, I think that's the wrong question. And he said, oh, well, what's the right question? What an arrogant guy. Hey, that's the wrong question. Um, and, uh, and, and, he, and I said, I think it's what 
what do they deserve? And he said, well, that's interesting. I said, why? He said, because you're never going to be able to give them what they deserve, will you? And I went, probably not. And he said, and what about, do you think that way about God? Do you think you're trying to live your life trying to give God what he deserves? And I said, 100%. I'm trying to give God what he deserves. And he said, that must be tough because you are never achieving. You are never meeting the mark. You are never reaching that place. Interesting that we can believe things in our head, but we can live things in our heart that are so different, right? So I was really encouraged out of that meeting. And, um, and he, said, he, said, he said, can I just say, this is what I want from my children. I want their time. I want their honesty. And that was it. And he said, can I suggest that maybe that is what God is wanting from you, your time and your honesty. And all of a sudden, my relationship with God moved from me trying to lay my, not that, uh, how, do I, how do I put this, lay my life down in a way that was like trying to do something for God to laying my life down in a way that was like, I'm, I just want to be in relationship with you and I want you to help me be obedient. It was a shift, and I don't know if you can see that shift, but honesty liberates. And so when I could become honest with God, it liberated me from all of the things that I felt like I must do, I should do, or I had to do, right? Lament says, here I am. Whereas talking to God and saying the things that you think he deserves, or doing the things that you think he deserves to have, and wants, is like giving someone your Facebook page and saying, this is all of me. We, we know that Facebook is not all of me. I, I'm not putting up the last argument that I had with my wife on Facebook. I don't know about you. Hey, everyone, check this out. My wife said, blah, 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 blah. But if I was to be honest, that would be all of me too, right? In a relationship with God, we're going to say, this is all of me. Honestly, all of me. But we often don't want to do that because we've experienced some form of rejection and denial. But God, if we can't do that with God, we can't do that with anyone. Do we understand? One of my dearest friends, he's from Tor. his father passed away, kind of out of the blue, suddenly. And uh, he ended up being sort of like the one organizing everything, but he was young and young in his faith too. And we, we kind of went down to Taumaranui, which is where his marae was at um, Manaiti. And we went down there and we went through the tangi process and it was beautiful and hard and, you know, all of those types of things. And he, at that point of time, he was our youth pastor and he had about two weeks, I think maybe three even, to grieve. And then he was back in the role. And it was like after that process him trying to lead people, him trying to talk about the Father's heart, him trying to be in a, a voice of energy and enthusiasm, and it's like he just couldn't get there. And I started to feel frustrated at him, like, come on, man, like, this is your job, like, you've got to, you need to sort this out. Don't judge me. And um, because I didn't have a theology myself around lament. Now, in Tainui, in Waikato, when, when someone in your immediate family passes away, you are no longer allowed to operate on the pie or in other parts of the morai for a year. 
So they clear that year for you in order that you grieve properly. And so they have a system called pokai whereby people go to a whole lot of different marae and they take photos of their loved ones as a way of right like 20, I think there's 26 of them in a year, 26 events throughout the year where they go and they carry the photos of their loved ones. And then they get to the final event at Tūranga Waiwai in Ngarawa here where they bring the, their loved ones and they are finally put to rest. It's called kawemate. And they're finally put to rest and it's like this year-long process of grief has a way of being put to rest. Three weeks later, come on, bro, do your job. Sort it out. We have got an interesting way of dealing with pain, don't we? What do we do when function or life demands function, but grief demands rest? When we've got bills to pay, obligations to meet, Now, we live in an economic reality where we can't just throw everything out, right? But we can make changes and do certain things that allow us the time and the process to grieve. And I want to suggest this morning that I think that there are many of you in this space. When I was driving here, I saw uh, like the... a flashing battery, you know, the it goes down, 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 and then it flashes, it flashes, it flashes. Now, I don't think that was about energy because I feel a lot of energy in this room. But I think that was about pain, about going, notice, you need to notice, your coping is down low. Your coping is down low. And you know what happens when we lose our coping mechanisms? They jump in, right? Coping, when we lose the ability to cope, our coping me- mechanisms jump in. And some of those are great. Some, some of you are like, yeah, when, I get, when things get hard, I start to read scripture or I start to do this. Other you are, are thinking, well, actually, I go and smoke weed or I get drunk or I look at whatever, and there's a large list. And let's just be honest, we have to throw this stuff out there, right? Some of you are like, oh, I start snapping in my, in my relationship. I start getting angry. I start throwing out the um, things. I start saying things to my kids. I, whatever it might be, when your coping disappears, so does your behavior. Our behavior comes out of that place of like, oh, I can't handle this anymore. And some of you, it's like to, this morning is God's window of opportunity to say, there is a way that God is asking you to hold on to your grief, to let it live, not suppress it, and let God bring you out the other side. I want to say this. Lament might be the most futuristically hopeful thing that you could ever do. Lament might be the most futuristically hopeful thing you can ever do. So if you are refusing to grieve, refusing to be in despair, refusing to feel deeply, you are refusing also access to hope. 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 Lament always leads to hope. Always. Now, lament without Christ is despair, right? But here's the thing that we know about Jesus. His death on the cross was not just an incredible act of mercy. It was a model of how we should live our life, right? That we should allow the weight and the sin and the pressures of the world to die within us, to suffer, to experience pain, and to allow God to resurrect us, right? 
I, I want us to stand up this morning. You know, in Tufaretua alone, in this whole area, there is an old lament, an old pain. 96% land, uh, 100% land ownership to now 4%. That's economic privileges gone. That's sustainability gone. And are, are people still living in the oppression of that moment? We have old lament and we have present lament. And we have an obligation to both, the old and the new. We think about what's happening in South Africa it's a present lament, but it has an old reality. Can we just begin to, I just want us to open our hands this morning. Look, I, I recognize that I'm more prophet than pastor, but my heart has been breaking for a long time, watching people feel like they have to energetically push their way through suffering and pain. When God actually gives you permission to feel, hold that deeply. And if you were to enter into the new year, the new year that is in Maori cosmology in that sense, then you have to do something with your grief and your pain. And right now, well, I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to speak into your hands the loss, the pain, and the trauma of this last year the things that have been hard. Some of you have lost a mum or a dad and you, you feel it deeply. You just wish you could have one more conversation with them. You wish you could have one more moment. Some of you have lost your dream job. Some of you are in massive doubt about who God is and whether he's faithful at all. And God is offering you the opportunity to say, oh, I'm angry about this. I feel the pain of this still deeply, Lord. Honestly, you can come honestly. I won't turn away. I won't turn aside. Speak it into your hands in this moment. Lord, this hurt. This was hard. And if you don't know Jesus... I just want to say this, that he is the one that will hold you in your despair, in your pain and in your shame. He will hold it. He won't ask you to quickly move on, but he will sit with you. He will sit with you. And I want us to do this one thing. This morning, I want you to, every person that feels comfortable, this is not an altar call. I want you to bring your stuff. Keep your hands like this because you need to keep holding that stuff. I want you to come and I want you to place it on this little riser thing here. Okay? I want you to place it on it. And I just want you to say, Lord, I give this to you. And God is not going to say to you, now it's time to move on. But it's like God is going to give you permission. Right? And these guys are going to start singing that hope is on the way. Because in the midst of you giving your pain back to God, hope will start to chase you. So, I want us to do this right now. I just want you to come and place on 
this riser, your pain. It might feel really bizarre, but I want us to metaphor something. You want to hold this in your hands like a sacred treasure, and I want you to give it over to God. So right now, why don't you come? Just begin to drop it on this riser. You can, if you need to stay and you want to pray, that's fine, but I want you to drop it on here, and then I want you to walk back to your seat and ask that God's hope would start entering into you. No my, how my. Hope, hope, hope. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a blessed week.